Well, hello, Dr. Evan. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Yeah. So fast week. Um, <laughs> Very fast water, week. Water issues again. Uh, pandemic issues still. <laughs> and uh, here we are. No, for sure. Uh, hopefully the water, I don't know if the water issues in all of Jackson has been resolved because I didn't know until probably yesterday that um, like South Jackson had an issue too with the low yes. water. They couldn't flush their toilets. I didn't know that part. Mm -hmm. But we're back in person today for JSU that made us back in person today. <laughs> yep. Sounds about right. They could have waited till Monday, but it's fine. <laughs> Yep, looks like the Environmental Protection Agency wants to know about Jackson's water system within the next 45 days. Really? Yep, so they've been put on notice that they have to uh, submit plans and explain yourself. Well, that's good because it's almost about to be a year since the last bad water crisis. Yeah. You knew the, ja you knew the Jackson. <laughs> it's a whole that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole struggle with water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like since it was really, really bad, like last year, it's gonna be a year for sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You got a chance to catch one of the worst. And I think we have a special <laughs> Is let me see what he done surprised us. It's the man, the myth himself. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, Mr. Peters. It's nice to see you. I did. I made it. I made it. It's good to see you. You know, I, I, I don't, I can't even pretend to say I understand the young people of today. She turned down the opportunity we gave her. She said she'd rather be at home. So. Wow. Okay. All right, so, well, Ms. Pierce, you didn't miss much. We were just talking about how basically Jackson's water crisis is up and down. We're in, we were in person today, so I guess we're scheduled to be in person Monday. Who will know? Who knows? Um, we're just gonna pray about that, and we're just gonna see how that goes. But I wanted to jump right into the show with how the Boombox Classic will be moved to Legion's Field in Birmingham, oh, 2023 to 2024. Oh, so I wanted to talk about that because it just, okay, so before Mr. Peters explained it to me the other day, it, it didn't make sense to me really because I was just like, this could be an economic boost for like both cities. Granted, because last year we had it in Baton Rouge. So, you know, this fall, what happened in Jackson. So I was like, why move it from both of these cities when we need the economic boost? But after Mr. Peters explained it to me, it made sense. So So why um, don't you explain it to everyone then? Man? Yes. Oh, yes. No, don't, don't, no, 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 no. Don't put me on the hot seat. Look, <laughs> it, it is what it is, but I didn't call the people. <laughs> let, me, let me just say this. I too, um, like, like most of our audience, uh, did not like when I heard this, I had a lot of questions and I wasn't happy about it, right? But I think more than anything, what this is a lesson for us in is, and I'm going to start right here, and this might be controversial, but I'm going to say it because it's got to be said. And last year, the city of Jackson proudly told us that 
football season at Jackson State brought in over $30 million in revenue to the city. Okay. And that was off of three games. I hope you what know that. the city has never come back and told us is how much revenue went back to Jackson State. And so the reason why that makes a difference is because in this day and age, what Jackson State is needing and looking for is true partners. And partners don't just carry the revenue, they carry the expenses too. So they partner. And it's not a one-way relationship. And I say that to say, if, 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 being honest, if, if we look at just what has transpired in the city of Jackson in recent years, city of Jackson has actually cost Jackson State. I'm, I'm just saying, we live, we dealing with the water crisis again. So, yeah. so here was an opportunity to to be on the forefront of thinking and come up with an idea and a solution before somebody else did, and it just turns out somebody else beat you to the punch. And they beat you. Nobody should be able to beat you to the punch in your home city. In a in a in a college, and I say that to both Baton Rouge, I say that to Jackson, where you reside. This is this is your baby. This is your pride and joy that resides in your city, and somebody else beat you to the punch. So we'll see if this is a catalyst that gets them to step up to the plate for future. But I think at the end of the day, what you have to look at when we look at an athletic budget and a program where. They only have $15,000 in the football program budget for recruitment travel. That's one trip for the coaches. That's one trip. How many people you going to go see? How many players you going to get to go see and evaluate? So when we are that tight on a budget, we need resources. And so when you have a program that's been down for as long as we have, that has an 11-2 season, wins the SWAC championship, has multiple games, over 50,000 people in the stands, you got to come to play. I can hear the boom right now playing. <laughs> we come to play. And so Birmingham, and, and, and let's get about how this came about. It wasn't the SWAC mandating this. This is still an event that's put on by the two schools. It just so happened years ago, not just now, according to the commission. And you can reference it. He's been making the media blitz. He's on Dr. Kavit. Uh, Kabil's show. He was on HBCU game day yesterday, so you can go and look on and find it yourself. But according to the commissioner, the schools came to him and said, well, he had mentioned to the schools, all the member institutions, that there was an opportunity that the city of Birmingham had provided the swag that anybody could take advantage of. And that was three years ago when they re when the swag redid the deal in Birmingham to extend their tenure in the corporate office in Birmingham. These two schools, Jackson State and Southern, contacted him and said, hey, does that still, that deal still exist? That opportunity still exists? He said, yes, it does. And that's how it happened. And so essentially, the way he explained it, even when the schools put on the event, when it's home and home, when the game is in Jackson, then Jackson would make the revenue. When it was in Southern, Southern would make the revenue. But they still have to cover the expenses of the game. Mm. All the operation expenses, the school have to pay that. So your net revenue, according to the commissioner, I don't, I'm, I'm, I haven't <laughs> looked at no books. I don't know what the books say. I hadn't done no forensic accounting. 
But just according to the commissioner, they were making net, and that's after all expenses, about half a million dollars in Jackson, right? Now, I don't know what Southern netted, but it's going to be less than that because they don't have the capacity, sitting capacity that Jackson does. The expenses should be a little lower, but let's say it's 502. With now, when the game is in the local schools, they don't have the ability. So, like for example, Southern is playing is a uh, Coke school, so you can't leverage the national partnership with Pepsi and give Pepsi dollars to that game if it's in Southern because Southern's a Coke school. Mm-hmm. The local partnership with Coke, local rules out. By being at a neutral site, now they're able to leverage the national partnerships with Pepsi and GM. And so now both of those schools can stand to make in both years, if they just get 30,000 people in the stands, we know Jackson and Southern will do, regardless of where it's played, they can walk away with 1.5 million apiece. Now, if you do the numbers on that, that's more than the celebration goal. <laughs> if we put 60,000 in the stands, they can walk out with 3 million apiece both years. You talk about economic impact over two years of six million to the program. I think we can increase our recruitment budget with that. So when you look at the dollars and cents, it makes sense. From a fan base, you got to travel. Yeah, fans are not happy you lost the game. From the dollars and cents perspective of where you're trying to go, you need the resources. Now, if we got big dollars, if I had it, I give it. But if we got somebody going to roll up and just write some checks, that be, then we don't have to do that. But right now, the dollars are talking, and the dollars say we go into Birmingham. <laughs> well, <clears throat> the dollars have spoken. They see, and the other thing that you that you hit on, but you didn't really expand on, is this: you can't wait around in these opportunities. Yeah, no. you can't sit back and wait on Jackson State to coddle the city or vice versa. Whoever needs it, you need to be talking because, face it. Jackson State is the cash cow of the swag. The swag is trying to audition for television contracts. The way you do that is have sponsors already in place, show the ability to put seats, fill seats in the stadium. Um, All those things matter. And so that's what you call advanced preparation. I know people saying, well, it's politics. Somebody got got paid. Part of politics is getting paid, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I never known it not to be that. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of a lazy way to look at it because the fact says that the athletic directors of both schools have an obligation to their programs. And if the the backyard is not clean enough, Birmingham said we're clean enough. Come on. Right. And let me tell you like this. Here's another thing, the way to think about it. Guys, you got to remember football is the catalyst that funds all your non-revenue sports. Yeah. Your soccer, volleyball, uh, track, bowling, tennis. You know it's non-revenue. When the last time you been to a, bowl, a bowling game in my match, Kennedy? Uh, never. <laughs> Basketball plays, that's why you don't, the basketball team don't play no game at home. You don't even see that to January because in November, 
in December, they on the road playing money game. Yeah. So, the so question is it's, it's financial. It is. So, Dr. Irving, you said that Jackson State is the cash cow of the swag. Like, has it always been like that before Dion came? Like, numbers-wise, we've always made the most money in the swag. So, when you talk about numbers in football, we drive attendance in the entire FCS, not just the swag. There were years when we were two and eight or whatever, and we still led in attendance. Um, And we've had a long streak of leading in attendance. Well, it was 15, 20 years at one point. Uh, 20, 21 years, I believe. It's yeah. still, is it not still? I feel like it's still going. It is still going. Yeah. yeah and this year, we've we upped it up. We we were leading it with 33,000 in attendance. And this year, wow, we, it's our like average that. attendance was 48,000 or something. Yeah. 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 So to answer your question, yes, we've always, we've always supported Jackson State. Okay. Okay. Um, now, let me say this, because I'm, I'm 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 feeling it today. I'm about that today. I'm about that today. Well, bring it in, brother. Bring so, it. <laughs> so here's the other thing. Even though we lead in attendance, even though we have had decades where we've dominated in terms of success and winning the swag, this is going to surprise you. Jackson State has the seventh largest athletic budget in the swag. Oh. Think about what I'm saying. Well, that's changing. That mean they not. That mean they trash. They're not spending their money well. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Now, now, he, but but listen to the. That means that the only schools that have a smaller budget than Jackson State athletic budget are Mississippi Valley and Alcorn. Mm-hmm. Every other school in the conference athletic budget is bigger than Jackson State. That's 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 changing. It is. It's changing, but my point is, I want to call attention to the reality, but a lot of people didn't realize. Yeah. Even the Alabama schools haven't been winning; they budget still been bigger than Jackson State. They still been allocated more resources to athletics than Jackson State, and that speaks to administration and how we allocate funds. Okay. I just got to call it all out, and so when you look at that and you say. How does a school that leads in attendance in all FCS not have the largest athletic budget, not have some of the top facilities in the conference, not have? That didn't happen yesterday, and it's not on one administration. It's on many administrations. Yeah, and I think think, uh, the longer form answer to that statement is we have a new dynamic uh, athletic director in Ashley Robinson, and you have leadership from President Hudson that are focusing back in on it. I think this what you're speaking to is what he left unsaid at his initial press conference when he said that Jackson State is a sleeping giant when it right. comes to athletics. <clears throat> but you have to feed a giant, and they eat dollars. So... <clears throat> What's that saying, Charles? They eat they eat steak, not uh they eat steak, not spam, huh? That's right. <laughs> well, at least I guess it's some pros and cons is being moved. But how far? How far is Birmingham from here? Three and a half. Three and a half hours. That's not bad. If it was yeah. too far. Straight interstate, straight out twenty. Yeah. I was, I was not gonna go. It has, it has pros and cons, but I will tell you this. Um all the fans saying that they're gonna boycott and all that stuff. 
Um, <laughs> it's a bad thing. Yeah, it's a lot of people upset about it. But here's what I will tell you: you wanted, you wanted your school back in the limelight. You wanted to win again. Yeah. This is the price of admission to those wins. So get on board, support your team, support your university, and quit all that crime. <laughs> and for those of you to say you gonna boycott. Here's my take on that. It's a long time away before we before we get to 2023 and 2024. I guarantee you, if we go up into that game undefeated and Southern coming out undefeated, you're gonna be right there sitting next to me. Yeah. Not, not, on, not only that, I mean I can give you a, let me give you a historical context of what they're saying. Okay, Steve McNair in 95, 96, that was his senior year. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest to ever do it in the sweat. Nobody in the region is going to sit out seeing Steve McNair play. And we know this because we had 65, 66,000 people in the stands. Well, guess who will be a senior in one of those years? Shador Sanders. Yeah, he would. Nobody's going to sit out watching him play his senior year. That's Everybody's going to want to see what he has to do. Sure. Very true. And not to mention, can you imagine you talking about that's another recruiting class coming behind that? Right. We got a good one already right now. <laughs> I'm not sitting out. I'm not I'm not missing that. And, and get this. Here's what I say. And I get the sting. The sting of not having that game at home. The other thing that they explain, our commissioner did a good job of explaining is that, and I didn't understand this, because the snack, the, the swag went to 12 teams with the expansion of Bethune Cookman and okay. FAMU. And the presidents, which every president represents the institution on the on the board, they voted to maintain an eight-game schedule. So, which means you gotta play eight games that count toward the conference race every year. That means with 12 teams, you're gonna have two years. That you won't play every team in that swag. They're gonna rotate, and you can you can only pinpoint one team as a permanent team on your schedule. They don't move, and so that means twenty years. If you notice, we didn't play Arkansas Pine Bluff this year. We wasn't gonna play Arkansas Pine Bluff next year, right? And I can tell you that the people in Pine Bluff they look forward to Jackson State coming to town. That's a big game for them. I know because I used to live there. <laughs> And so that it's not necessarily a big rivalry for us, but it is for them. And so they are playing that game in 20 this year that wasn't wasn't on the schedule. So that's an extra game and money opportunity. And then in 23 and 24, Southern, if they if the if the ADs weren't able to work it out and they were not able to work it out, because remember, when you when it's a non-conference game now that's not mandated. That means when Southern comes to Jackson, Jackson has to compensate Southern. When oh. Jackson goes to Southern, Southern will have to compensate Jackson. You got to make those numbers work in addition to paying all your expenses. That's right. And, and that was a different, It's a whole different situation. I know. You're not thinking about that. You got to pay this team now because it's a non-conference game. Yeah. Mm. So do you want to pay them or do you want to let the sponsors pay them? You want to let the city of Birmingham pay them? I will pay my team's travel to get to Birmingham and I get to keep up. I split 100% of the gate. 
between us and Southern. The swag doesn't get any of it. And I get to I get to get the sponsorship dollars. I'll take that deal. And that's what they did. No. It was good, yeah. I see now. I was like, okay, I guess it is a positive change. So I can't even be upset. I mean, your 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 feelings are warranted. <laughs> You know, because everybody likes to talk about the Bayou Classic. Everybody likes to talk about, talk about Jackson State Alcorn. Everybody likes to talk about the Magic City Classic. But there is only one Boombox Classic. <laughs> yep. Now, watch this, Charles. We also got to think about the even bigger picture because this game could end up being a lot bigger than the money we're talking about. So let me put something else on your mind. We're bringing it to a neutral site. If the SWAC is able to negotiate a TV deal for this game, now you bring national exposure. So remember, the Boombox Classic, the Boombox Classic has been big just between the two fan bases of Jacksonville. Yeah, organic. Now you got a chance to expose it to the world. So now you put the classic on the same stage that the Bayou Classic is on with Washington a TV deal. And let's see how big the Boombox Classic becomes. Now you got a period. I'm just crunching my own numbers. By 2024, if this game does well in 2023, you're going in the Shadir Center scene here in 2024. Um, two strong teams coming in. This game could essentially end up being enough payout for each team that will equal what their whole football budget is today in one game. Yeah, you're talking about over three million dollars, over four million dollars a piece for one game. That's their whole budget right now for the year. You got to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking on that, I wanted to bring light to um Shador Sanders. How he was the he made actually being the first HBCU athlete to sign a deal with Gatorade. So it's always good to see JSU students making history. I feel like. That was a real big one for me. And then now we're going to turn this into how Dr. Irvin, when I saw this, I definitely wanted to put this on the show because I did not know that you could do, well, Supreme Court Justice could do this. So Supreme Court Justice Breyer, I think that's how you pronounce his name, mm-hmm. retired. Okay, question. I thought that was a lifetime appointment. It is. So how can you just retire? Once you feel like you're no longer uh, willing or able to do your duties, it's your right to step down. Right. It's a lifetime appointment, not sentence. He doesn't actually have to stay there until he dies <laughs> on the bench. He can he can uh, exercise his right to step aside. And that's, oh. usually, that's usually what happens. Once you've served for so long, then you uh, retire. I, wow. Well, thank you, because I really did not know that. But you, know, you can look, Kennedy, They might just decide, you know what, I'm tired of coming to work. <laughs> yeah, you're confusing the term life with uh, meaning that he's sentenced to. No. <laughs> no, I just never have heard anybody retire from being a Supreme Court justice. That's why I was just like, he retired. Now, I will tell you this. Sometimes the politics of it, presidents will will attempt to try to convince a judge to stay longer if they're trying to push certain things through. And so that you got the political part of it. But at the end of the day, is that your 
And, you know, so they don't have to stay here. They can leave, you know. They. <laughs> how do you think, how do you think uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett got to the, uh, got to the bench? Mm-hmm. How do you think, um, yeah. you know, she replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who, who passed. Passed. But. <laughs> Immediately a pri- immediately prior to that, who went on? Mm. I'm trying to think. The water man. Yep. Um. Uh oh. I'm about to, I'm about to start back getting on you. You supposed to know this. You supposed to know this. Anyway, that was a retirement, and so he filled that spot. Mm. Okay. So after Briar retired, really. It has been some news of possibly Biden um, trying to push to have the first black woman as a Supreme Court justice. Now, how do you guys feel about that? And Dr. Irvin, the reason why I also brought this up because I know how you said sometimes um, politicians and government officials will do stuff to try to aid a vote or a certain demographic. So do you guys think this could, possibly, could be possible? Like, actually, we could see this in the future. Yes. Good evening, Antonio. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen. He's already he's already said uh, the other day when the retirement was officially announced, mm-hmm. President Biden came out and said that he was going to honor his campaign pledge to, to appoint uh, a black female to the high court. So he's serious. Okay. Do you yeah. think he's kind of using this as a bait, though, or do you think this, regardless, this will be good in our favor? Uh, well, you, you, you're talking about two two different things. So when it was a campaign promise, it was bait. It's, it's, that's, I mean, that's politics. <laughs> I mean, but it was something that was deserving. Incidentally, incidentally now, he's not the first president to make this type of pledge. Mm. Sandra Day O'Connor one of the most famous uh, Supreme Court justices, she made it onto the high court because because of the same pledge. It's time for female representation, and it was made by Ronald Reagan. So, this is not new. <laughs> Don't listen to the media when all these people are trying to act like, oh, oh, you you can't do that. It's already been done. The precedent was set by the Republicans. Now, for the audience, I just want y'all to also understand that this type of appointment can actually be very big and could be a positive. Well, it could be a win for the Democrats because when it comes to certain cases, Supreme Court cases, it could be, it can be, it's just with certain people. Well, why are you shaking your head, Dr. Irving? No, because no, you're about to get some bad information out now. This one, this one seat is not going to change the balance of the court. But it can help. It can aid at least. You don't think it can aid at least, Doctor? Aid in what way? In certain cases, not every Supreme Court justice is always predictable. Just like some of the senators aren't really predictable. Prime example is Manchin in cinema. Yeah, I, I get you on that. But I mean, my 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 counter to that would would be Clarence Thomas. Do you get what you expect out of him? <laughs> <laughs> No, you don't. So that's why I'm shaking my head. Like, no, just because of race, you're not going to necessarily get what you think you're about to get. Yes. I wasn't going to say mainly race, though. I was just going to say for the Democratic Party as a whole, though, being Republican party-wise. Well, I mean, um, political party-wise. No. I was saying with certain bills, it could be a win. We don't know. We will see because we can't predict the future. 
But until <laughs> until the balance of the court changes, yes, you can. <laughs> it's 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 uh decidedly slanted in the uh conservatives' favor right now. What this will do is for all aspiring young black female attorneys, it will give them a gas start to say it is possible. And it will add diversity of thought and look to the uh, Supreme Court because you've never had a black female justice. Incidentally, you've had what, 115 white males? Yeah. And they're the main ones who are crying foul because he said he's going to appoint uh, a black female? It smells funny. Here's what's interesting to me, right? Mm-hmm. This is this, and this is the part. It's politics, but it's interesting that they don't. You don't hear none of that noise when they said they was going to appoint a white female. None of that noise when they said they was going to appoint um, Kavanaugh. Right, Kavanaugh, Brent. Was it Brett Kavanaugh? Yeah, but. Just the mention of hold a point of black female, and now we got all of this talk. It's interesting. It just it, it speaks to where I say work the work that we still have to do um, in this in this country, and it speaks to the mindset that we we're fighting every day. So, Kennedy, my charge to you is still the same: continue to work to be extraordinary, because ordinary won't do when you're a person of a color. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and so we have a comment from Antonio saying that the court did not behave as past President Trump believed they would thus far. I would I would disagree with that. They behaved as, exactly as how as they how he wanted it. Yeah, exactly. I mean exactly. he, he got he got a couple of rulings that were against him, but I mean those were so far out in the middle of nowhere that yeah that was not happening. I mean. I mean <laughs> the only rulings that went against him was against him personally, and it was it was things they could not. There was no way they could sign. There was there was literally no case law. To yeah, no, there was no case law to support any of that. No. <laughs> so so actually, the court did his job in following the case law. We're not we're not about to make new case law just for you to <laughs> remain president. Not gonna do that. <laughs> you know, no matter how bad you want me to. Yeah. No and matter. there and Kennedy, that's why they have life life appointments, so that they can, they don't have the pressures of of the political side of it. That's why Supreme Courts have lifetime appointments. So once they're in, they're in. So they decide they want to be out. So you can't threaten them with their job. No, that's that's why the Supreme Court and the federal judges and that have those lifetime appointments. Yeah, because those are constitutionally mandated positions. They were they were provided for. In the Constitution, the Article Article Three judges. Yeah, because could you imagine, Charles, if that provision was not in there? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine it, but um, Kennedy wouldn't be on this show right now. Neither would we. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh my gosh! Well, you guys definitely taught me something new today because I, <laughs> I really thought you could not retire. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the last things that I really wanted to talk about was also, like I said, when I'm searching stuff for this show, it's kind of important as well. I never knew that senators actually give a state of address as well. Every year, like, this is something new for me. I always learn something new in my major and just in politics as a whole. So Governor Tate Reeves decided to say a lot 
at his state of the address that literally just makes no sense and it's no I guess it's proof to basically counteract what he was saying but my real question is Dr. Irvin so you know how you said earlier the EPA was basically telling the city of Jackson that they need to come up with some type of plan or give them provide them with some type of documents on why the water is the way it is and improvements right so I feel like recently, as I've been doing research for the show and how Jackson has been a lot of highlight, do you think there's going to be some sort of checks and balances in the way for Governor Reeves? Because, like I said, it's stuff and proof to counteract everything that he was saying in this address. He was, and for those who's watching, he said how education has been up, um, and the teachers are not backing down to the mask and. I love their resilience. He also was saying how he's trying to give more funding to the Capitol Police to better the community, but there's no funding for um, trying to find have better water for COVID vaccine um, places or anything better testing. So you think that he will be sooner or later, I guess, put in check, really? Or you yeah, if you vote him out, that's just the only way. Well, I mean, think about this. The House in Mississippi is controlled by Republicans. The Senate in Mississippi is controlled by Republicans. The governorship is, is controlled by Republicans. And now the Attorney General is controlled by Republicans. The Secretary of State is a Republican. What checks are you referring to? <laughs> That's on the voters of Mississippi. <laughs> I guess I'm referring to just federal government as a whole. Just like I said it's earlier. federal government's job to uh, to check a governor. That's why you have uh, separation of powers. Yeah. But I guess you are right. I just feel as though everything that he was saying could have been proved wrong, I guess. You just like how politics. That is true. But you see how we brought the U, like the FBI and the U.S. attorney and everything, just kind of help the situation with the crime. I just felt as though some type of mm, what was like federal in, federal intervention is what you look at. Yes, That's you not it's never gonna happen. Mm. No, I mean, when was the last time you had federal intervention? You have federal intervention when you have hurricanes because they sign a a state of emergency. You had federal in, uh, intervention for integration of schools because the president of the United States and the Department of Justice took legal steps to be able to do that. You can't just roll into Mississippi and say, nope, you were wrong at your press conference, so we're about to take over. Right. That's why you have one one vote. If you want that to change, then you have to vote for somebody that's got different ideals. Because mm. he wasn't really talking to you. That's why it sounds foreign. Yeah, he just, I don't know. I saw some of the clips and read some of the stuff that he said, just like one of them. He was just saying how as he we mourn the loss of Mississippians to the virus, we also cannot lock ourselves away behind the screens and live in fear. We choose to protect ourselves as we see fit. We choose to reject panic and embrace a life worth living. And honestly, I was just like, are you serious? You're not even providing the Mississippians with any type of protection whatsoever, any easy ways to get vaccinations or tests. It is just like, it's, it's proof it's in the numbers. And granted, yes, it's not federal intervention, but it's almost like, how can we, 
I can see why I said I can see some of my classmates who are Mississippians who kind of have a lot of hope, and I try to push them to vote as well. But it's also like, hey, who's gonna check this bit? Well, here's here's what that means. It means that you are listening with a keen a keen ear. You're watching with a keen eye, but at the end of the day, his policies are no different than what was going on at the White House. No different than what's happening in Florida. You don't see the government rolling in in Florida when they pretty much declared them themselves as the COVID uh, oasis. <laughs> they did that. They didn't pretty much. They did. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yes, there's a place for federal inter intervention, but that part what you what you're laying out is for elections this is the consequence of electing the tater tot as your governor <laughs> yes very true so let viewers please like i i keep on putting stuff because i want y'all to understand the point of midterm elections and how serious it is and how we cannot keep living like this i'm sorry we just can't Okay, I I don't know if we want to tackle this. I saw it in the in the show notes, Kennedy. Uh, Charles is probably going to look at me, and give me a look here. But <clears throat> I'm looking at what you put in the show notes about CRT. Yeah, yeah. No, we're not. I mean, here's here's what I will tell you about critical race theory. Okay. Anybody who wants to to make a big critical race theory has been around and For been you. taught for many many years since the 70s actually it sounds it sounds good right now because it has been weaponized and I, how many times have i told y'all republicans are master guerrilla marketers critical race theory that sounds spooky <laughs> oh my and here's God. the thing guys it's when you like really it. most people you talk to and that's why i think we need to talk about it just educate first of all critical race theory the whole concept was crafted in the, in the mid seventies and eighties. Three attorneys, you, you know, I, I did. I used to know who they were, um, but, but I forgot their names. But uh, yeah, but uh, Derek Bell, I got it right here. Right? Kimberly Crenshaw, Richard Douglas, and several others. They've been around a long time. And when you really look at the true definition of critical race theory, ain't nothing spooky about it. Okay, okay, so you bring up a valid point. Let me, stop, let me stop you right there. And this is why Democrats lose so many elections. You want to talk about definitions, they don't care what the definition is. It's critical. <laughs> I know they mark, they take something and they great at marketing it in a way they they go on a popular opinion. They know if they can make it spooky to their base. That's all they got to do. And get so here, let's take that. Let's play this out a little bit further because they were discussing it in the legislature here. And I think Senator Norwood asked the person who introduced the bill for uh, outlaw, outlawing critical race theory can you define critical race theory? Right. He couldn't. No. So that lets you know it's not about the definition, it's not about the substance of, of the topic, it's about the title. The title is spooky. That's it. The, 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 the title creates panic. Yes. The title creates fear. And anything that creates fear, I can use that in a way you, to galvanize I, my audience. 
Yeah, to get them to do what I need them to do. And I don't know when the Democrats are going to wake up and figure out how to do the same thing. Stop trying to talk about definitions. <laughs> Stop trying to talk about the substance and understand what what people listen to. We live in soundbite America. N nobody really reads a paper copy of the, of the newspaper anymore. Stop trying to use these long-form arguments because they are beating you. It's no different than this. When the term defund the police was brought up by Black Lives Matter, oh, we got them. Because now we can just, we don't even have to think about anything about the good of what they're trying to do. Right. We can focus on the fact that they want to defund the police. They don't want police services. That was never the argument. That was never the substance of, of the argument. Mm -hmm. But it was spooky. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's smart. It's smart. It's a smart play. It's smart marketing. If you're going to give me something I can use, it's like bulletin board material. I'm going to use it. And they do a great job of using it. And so, to your point, we have to, we on the other side of the aisle, we have to be just as smart and just as pragmatic and just as efficient with the use of things as well. I, I, that's why for me, for people to truly understand it, we sitting here like, really? Y'all really gonna let them make this thing? Y'all gonna really let them make it? This is not even a thing. It, it, it's like they picked something up out the trash can. Remember, this came, This was created in the 70s. They picked something out the trash can and said, ooh, this will work. Yes. So, I have a question. What's gonna really happen, like really, really happen if certain teachers and professors decide to still teach critical race theory like how okay but what i'm trying to say is okay dr Irvin, if you decided to teach us critical race theory in one of our classes what's going to happen if you really teach it like you know what i'm saying like what they're going to do fire you like i'm not trying to say it in that way i'm just trying to say your administration will only know if students are telling what you're teaching if i'm not mistaken correct like correct. Correct. so, so so I feel like you know, teachers can still teach what they want, or who's really going to stop them unless work gets out. You know what I'm saying? Well, it depends on what the law looks like once it's passed, mm -hmm. because it'll put restrictions on. And you know, politics is local. I mean, the mayor of Ridgeland right now is putting a bounty out on LGBTQ books. He doesn't want them in the yeah. library, uh, and so it just depends on what the what. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you got to you got to remember this. You got to remember this. Uh, and I come back to this a lot. Benjamin Franklin said, "You have a republic." When asked if you have a democracy, what 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 form of government is this? He said, "You have a republic if you can keep it." So when you start censoring uh, speech and teaching and and you only want to uh, have people learn one thing, or you only want one color, one gender to serve as the arbiters of law and fact in, in America, then you're sliding into the negative. Or if you want to steal elections, all of those things harm the fabric of the Republic. So it's not, if you teach it, because there's always going to be revolutionaries that say it's not televised and go do what they do. Yeah. And that's the beauty of America. Colin Kaepernick can get in trouble for uh, taking a knee to bring an eyeball to the injustices that black America is facing. 
and he can get blackballed from the NFL. That's the owner's rights. They can do that. Aaron Rodgers can fake a COVID test and give everybody COVID and be MVP. That's their right. So in, in essence, what I'm saying is this. It's not the what's going to happen. It's stop letting them frame these debates around silliness because it goes too far. You go from you go from Barack Obama is a Muslim spooky <laughs> to setting up this whole elaborate big lie about the election being stolen. Spooky. If somebody is stealing something from you, that makes you get in a defensive position. And if you take it too far, you end up with a revolt on the Capitol. All of those things harm the fabric of the Republic. It goes against the ideals of what this country is supposed to be about. Considering it was all white men making those ideals. It even goes against them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, you know, so in what it, what it shows you is what we talk about a great deal, the political capital that you have in that one vote, because these things don't happen if you exercise your franchise to the point where these people cannot get in office that are going to spout critical race theory as spooky are going to worry about what type of bathroom, who or what uses. When you got to go to the bathroom, you got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Why is that? It's spooky because it might be a man dressed like a woman in there. You don't know anything about their physiology, their psychology, or their physical makeup. But it's spooky to say transgender bathroom. Or it's spooky to say a black woman is going to be on the Supreme Court? No. That can't happen. <laughs> Very true. Okay. I see what you're saying there. And I've been working on it for about a week. It makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, I was just sitting here listening to you, thinking, and I'm like, I mean, you did a great job of breaking that down, Charles. I was trying to find something that really kind of, in a funny way, it took us back to the fabric of this. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking over here to dig something up. I'll let you know when I got it. And uh, since I find it, it's a funny way. It's going to take you back to that democracy. And those men got together and created the fabric of what it is today, but you're going to see the irony in it in a fun way. So uh, I, I, I'm going to dig it up. Yeah. The other thing I want you to consider too, Kennedy, is this. Because I heard you say I heard you say that, you know, people lose hope with the boat. Mm-hmm. It's 2022. You don't have to share a crop. You know how to read. Matter of fact, you have internet at your disposal in your hand. You don't have to worry about somebody beating you or hanging you for trying to learn how to read. So for those people that are losing hope, think about the shoulders that you stand on because your ancestors died for you to have these these, uh, legs up in society. They provided the foundation for you to achieve even more so you can't lose hope they had to take they had to take tests at the polls to prove that they could read and then if they could read they got beat because they could sad but very true and it's time to start don't wait y'all like that's the reason why i did i did want to bring this to like shed some light on this issue because it's just 
I'm I've only been a resident of Jackson, really a college resident, if you want to say a college resident, for about three years now. So obviously I've seen some things and been exposed to different things in Mississippi. And I always tell my friends and I'll be like, because they'll complain that they're from Mississippi, they'll complain about certain things. And I'm like, honestly, I want to say I feel bad, but I'm like, it's really not y'all's fault with certain things happening. It's the governmental officials sitting in place. You know, so the only thing that you can do is vote. That's the only change that you can generate. You is voting. You can't. It's nothing else. Legally, you, you know what I'm saying. Legally, that's all you can do. Illegally, you still ain't gonna do nothing if you try to, you know, do some illegal stuff. It's not gonna change anything. No, no. So that's why you organize. That's why you learn the issues. That's why you're able to look at something like critical race theory and say, wait a minute. They pulling one over on me. <laughs> well, let me let me say this is a great segue, Charles. So I want to remind if we go back to George Washington, the country's first president, right? And I'm gonna I'm gonna frame up this whole in a different kind of way argument of understanding what Charles was just talking about, how even though the forefathers the guy that created this, it was ironic even to them. And this, this is a good way to show it because a lot of people don't see this in this example, but it, you'll, you'll notice it now. So let me, let me share this. Secretary Jefferson. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Keep off of these ideals, you should set over your head. He's a wise person, he's a working man. Don't act surprised, he got his desire over him. Ow! Hamilton forget. Who's playing with that argument of who stays dead? Now place your bet as to who that benefits. The very seat of government where Hamilton sits. Oh, you bitch wearing. New York's in debt. What? Virginia Ferris. Uh, paid, I'm in Virginia, we plant seeds in the ground. We create. You just want to move our money around. This financial is an outrageous demand, and there's too many pages for any man to understand. Stand with me in the land of free. Say to God we never see Hamilton's candidacy. Look, written tax our team, we got risky. Imagine what gonna happen when you try to tax our whiskey. Thank you, Secretary Jefferson. Secretary, have a response. Thomas is the real life nation. I think we got it, So, <laughs> going back, even Hamilton and and uh, Jefferson got into this debate, and basically what Hamilton said, yeah, y'all did because y'all got slaves. Yeah. <laughs> Provide the labor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liberal, same debate. The colors might have changed a little bit, same debate. Oh, yeah. You've always, <laughs> you've always had those who are in favor of more state states' rights. Um, to the point that that term became synonymous with slavery uh, because they wanted those states rights so they could keep black people in bondage. Uh, and you've always had those who said, 
boy Kennedy said, no, we need more of a governmental response. <laughs> Those people believe in the power of the federal government. Uh, right. And there is a balance. But the way that you take care of that is by voting the people in who are going to benefit the most good. Unfortunately, our politics is siloed. So people's ideals of good are largely identity politics. Here's why I say, and I've always been a proponent of it, as I built many boards on the nonprofit side, which is which is nothing more than a political process, let me tell you, in that world. But George Washington did something that was very interesting. And, and we've gotten away from that now. Uh, President Obama did something very similar. A good mixture of both ideas keeps you in that middle of that road. Yeah. He tried, he tried to build what's called a team of rivals. Lincoln did it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's where he got the idea from, a team of rivals. Yeah. Uh, people from the other political party that are uh, a little bit closer to your ideals, but not all the way, so that you can uh, encourage vigorous debate. Yeah, we see what Because think about that. You got Jefferson and Hamilton on, on the same cabinet. It could be opposite sides of the thing, but George Washington was able to get a lot of things accomplished by doing it. Say, if you look at Lincoln's president, look at the major accomplishments he had. Um, you, you know, one of his major accomplishments changed everything here in Texas. Uh, free people that didn't know they were free. And then look at what President Obama accomplished with health care by doing it so You can yeah. get... Here's, here's what I will tell you, though, Liz. Here's what I, know, I, will I know you're going. Go ahead. Here's what I, will, here's what I will tell you about that, though. There's a cautionary tale in it. Lincoln got killed. President yeah. Obama got slaughtered in the midterm elections. And everybody who's tried that, they lose. Mm. So you got to make a decision on, is that greater good good enough? Because you know it's a loss coming after. Well, I, th I think what you have to determine if you've got if, if what you have to get done is so many monumental that could be life-changing for a larger portion that's the that's the question you have to answer and i think healthcare was in, in president obama's case healthcare was in lincoln's case it cost him his life but freedom was yes and so you know yeah so you have that's you gotta wait you, you've got to weigh how what's what that cost is gonna be that's the true. problem you have right now in 2022 is the way things were done in Lincoln's time and Washington's time and even Obama's time is vastly different than the way things are done right now. Yeah. Right now, it's much more divided, much more tribal, much more. I don't even want to hear a, a educated debate about the issue because it's critical race theory. And as long as it's that, I don't really care. Because yeah. that's, that's wrong. <laughs> Very true. Kennedy, I'm going to put you on the spot before we go. So I, I, I like to do this. Do you know, do you actually know what critical race theory is? So I know what it is because my professor, Dr. Ori, was, uh, taught us about that last semester. I'm not, I'm not going to say I know like a concrete definition, but basically what I know is, is just teaching the class how the history of America really in my eyes that's my own definition just teaching the class history of different uh, the America the real history of America how slavery came about and just trying not to let um standardized 
learning, I guess, like what's been in the cur curriculum, sanitize what history really is. So when he was, so like you said, Derek Bell, he was reading some of his chapters in our class, uh, and we are not saved. And it explained the critical race theory, but it was more like exaggerated. And certain, his book is really good. I really should read the whole book. I was, that was my fault. But that's what it is to me, if I'm being honest. I don't know the concrete definition, but I know it is um, trying not to let people sanitize the actual history in America. That's what I know for sure. So to put it in a nutshell, because I want you to be able to explain that to your peers so we can demystify it, because I don't want them to sit down and not even, because everybody I meet. I asked no. the same question, and they 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 don't. They don't I think she did a good job. I think, I think she did a good job. From this standpoint, from this standpoint, the proponents of doing away with critical race theory would have you believe all those foolish things that people write in textbooks about Christopher Columbus discovering a new world. Yeah, can't be a new world if it already existed, right? That's really all they're saying is there is a complete history that's not being taught. Teach yeah. it, please. That's it. <laughs> and it's basically saying that, right, well, same thing you said, I'm just going to put it in a different phrasing, that that racism is not merely individual biases, but right. it's also the social construct as defined by policies and rules yeah. that are set up. Yeah. And so I want to get examples. I think, I can't remember the date. I want to say it was the 30s, maybe the 40s where the government essentially drew a line around certain areas in this country and deemed them as poor financial risk. And so then, but when you looked at the areas, they were all heavily black areas and the banks would not own or give mortgages to anybody that lived in those areas that they defined. Well, that's, a, that's, that's the pictorial, that's one instance of that thing. Why you open up a can of worms with that one? You know, you know, it's the federal case. Always starting stuff. It's a federal. No, but you're right on point. It's a federal case going on in San Francisco right now, where a black couple were trying to get their house appraised. Right. Um. The appraisal, because they had their pictures up, came in at 60 percent off. And so they changed out the pictures and put white people pictures in there <laughs> and had white people stand in for them for the appraisal and it went up to its true value. Wow. There's a case in Texas going on with that same thing happened to a black a black couple out in in North out there by where you live. Yeah. Really? Little Ill? Yeah. I'm not surprised. But you it's it's crazy though because We've only, okay, well, I lived in Little Elm for a year. We moved to Little Elm my senior year. But the neighborhood that I'm in, I'm not going to say it's not, like, not diverse, because it is, but it's not super diverse. But it is, like, just shocking, though, because they are building. You know, if you came to Texas, everybody knows this neighborhood's always been built nonstop. Like, it, it's crazy. But I'm not surprised. I'm not at all. That's Come how to the south side. Come to the south side. And you know, and you know, it's crazy when they when we first moved there and like realtors um were trying to help us find a you know a house. They wasn't showing the south side. They never do. <laughs> and they kept on trying to push us out here. That's what made it so crazy. 
but no it's definitely like that's one thing critical race theory is and then like a lot of the like I said, um, like in the book of Derrick Bell, some of the chapters, it kind of shows like how back then it was exact, even though it was exaggerated, but I'll, it was talking about real instances and kind of how it leads up to even now today, like why we are, why our policies and procedures like that today. And that's also just talked about like how even the policies and procedures, um, co I think it's called covert and overt racism, if I'm not mistaken. So. Mm -hmm. So yes, you're gonna. That's what it really is, and I tried to tell my friends that because I was trying to. I was asking, I was like, "Do y'all really know what it is? Like, do y'all know? <laughs> I don't think y'all know. Right? No, they don't know. They don't know. So that's our intern. That's an urban law intern. Right that's now. right. That's right. She's she's on top of a game. Uh, she better stay on top of a game. Yes, sir. Incidentally. Let's end with this because we're talking about how spooky critical race theory is. Uh, and I'm not, I don't even want to get, I don't even want to say the word meritocracy, but it's thinking that white people are the only ones who are smart. That's a dumbed down definition. And the only ones that, that should be in leadership positions. Uh, the case that's coming up, and we'll see if Kennedy is right about, about the different voice of a black female being on the Supreme Court. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want you. To get, I don't want you to get me wrong. I think that is monumental. I'm all. I'm all supportive of that happening because it's long, long, long overdue. But it's it's ironic to me how things line up that the court is getting ready to consider affirmative action in colleges again. Oh, <laughs> so it'll be I'm some research on that. It'll be interesting to see how the views of the, the same people who are trashing the idea of a black female being on the Supreme Court are the same people saying that no to affirmative action when they know what that will do. Wow. The colleges don't really want the argument that they're making, but the poli the spooky politics is taking over and it's about to be midterms. It's about to be a presidential cycle. So you, mm -hmm. you cycle these same issues, just like they've done for 50 years with Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. you, you recycle these same spooky issues because people fall for it every time. Yeah. You So you're telling me you want to take away affirmative action when you know prior to affirmative action there was institutional racism in your admissions policies. And now all of these schools from Harvard on down have taken the steps to diversify in thought and in policy and in action. And you want to take that away because it's too many black and brown people in those things. But and it's crap, you know what? And we're gonna go on and on about this. I'm gonna have to do research for that for next week. But I just want to say this before we go. It's crazy how they're re they're, you know, like you said, recycling cases when they know their institution wouldn't be who they are if it wasn't for those black or brown people setting record anything, where whether it's research, whether it's sports, whether it's just education period, whether it comes to GPA, your institution, it wouldn't be what it is. So I just, I just wanted to say that I'm gonna have to do some digging on that one. But before we end the show, so y'all know we have been trying to make y'all improve y'all credit. <laughs> but there will be a webinar February 10th talking about credit and our program and the credit corner for urban law so please pay attention the flyer and the registration link will be dropped really really soon 
And I just want everybody to understand that once you join our credit, our credit program, it's based on changing your behavior, not just changing your credit. It's a lot that goes into improving your credit. So please, please, please be on the lookout for that. Join our program and all. Dr. Irvin, Mr. Peters, y'all got anything else? Well, I just want to say, you know, I want to be clear. This is a course that we charge for. Yes. And we have plenty. We give it for you one time a year. This is going to be that opportunity. Completely free. You have to register because we're only going to allow a certain number in. And that's what it is. I'm not going to hit you over the head and try to say that is that ain't none of that. I'm just going to teach you the basics of credit 101. And so that's your chance. Now, what normally happens, people miss it. And say, hey, can you do that again? Free one time. <laughs> so February 10th. Be on the lookout for those uh, those links, and we'll certainly be dropping it next week in the show, and we'll be dropping it all for the week. Pay attention to our Faith Urban Law Facebook page to see the news and to register as soon as it drops. It's going to be completely free registration, completely free, but you have to register. We will cut it off, and that's the way that's going to go. So February 10th, Kennedy is doing a great job in helping me put that together, and uh, she's, she's going to be doing learning and teaching as well. So I'm looking forward to her really getting involved. And so she'll tell you, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it to yes. understand the importance of having your credit where it needs to be. And I want to thank Attorney Irwin Charles for being vulnerable enough to tell his story. And the fact, because I've always been vulnerable. Look, at one point in my life, my credit was so bad, they looked at me and just said, turn around, don't even ask, don't even apply. You know? <laughs> But it was because a lot of the stuff I was never taught. There are different rules. There are rules that they don't tell you. And they're never going to teach you. It's not in the book nowhere. And they don't want you to know because if they, they know, the banks make less money. So what this is really about is empowering you learn how to think differently and move differently so the laws work for you and not against you. I don't want to see another person. I just had a person today that spent, they bought a, a $38,000 car. By the time they financed it, they paid $63,000 for the car because of their credit and the interest rate they had. And where the same person that bought their car for $38,000 with good credit paid $42,000 for that car. So, People, let's get your money back. Come to the classes free and learn, and then go. Yes, I think Dr. Irving got anything else you want to say before we go? No, that was enough. That was enough. <laughs> All right, y'all. Y'all be safe. Be safe, y'all. Have a great weekend. <laughs> Thank you.